welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home. The usual host, Francesco, for the next 30 minutes or so. And uh, today I'm going to speak about explainable machine learning because this is one of the hottest topic in the field. Uh, it's not something that people are getting familiar now. It's something that has always been around, but uh, I realized that it is extremely important for um, definitely the followers of this show to know what explainable machine learning means. You can also find it you know, on Google uh, under the name of explainable AI, but generally speaking, it can be applied to any machine learning model. So that's why I kind of renamed it to explainable machine learning. So first of all, I would like to thank my sponsor, which happens to be also my company, Amethix Technologies, A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. That's the website. We do amazing stuff with machine learning and artificial intelligence for uh, commercial projects in several domains. Um, many times there are amazing projects and um, we are always looking for uh, very talented people who want to join the team. So feel free to reach out to me. There are several channels, of course, the official website, datasciencetom.com, but you can also pay a visit on our official Discord channel. You will find the link at the usual website, the same datasciencetom.com. We also have a newsletter once per week, once every 10 days, probably. It's uh, our newsletter about all things machine learning. Uh, we also provide some summaries of a series, uh, you know, when we group together uh, several episodes that belong to, to some kind of the same topic, um, it's always good to have some, you know, additional references and also the capability to expand your horizon and uh, knowledge on that particular topic if you're interested. So back to explainable machine learning. What is it? Well, I would like to start with uh, something that happened to me, you know, personally. Uh, in my career, a model, a machine learning model that worked so good that it was almost unbelievable, right? And and a lot of people around me were super skeptical about this machine learning model. It turned out that the model was good uh, just because the data were very, very good. And I'm referring to the um, healthcare uh, sector where I've been working for several years, healthcare and pharmaceuticals, which are also kind of the most regulated environments you would happen to work with machine learning and AI. Um, probably uh, FinTech is also something that is quite sensitive and uh, uh, quite regulated at the moment, but healthcare and pharmaceutical is probably more regulated because it affects you know people and uh, some decisions can be fatal. While you know, Netflix recommendation that goes wrong or is inappropriate, okay, I mean, sorry, I advised you to watch the wrong movie. Still, nobody's dying. It's still bad, but not as bad as advising you that you have a brain tumor when you actually don't, or whatever disease, or telling you, or giving, or starting a countdown of the days that you still have to leave. So as you can see, the regulatory effort um, is pretty much justified by the, the entity of the natural phenomenon that you are trying to model with machine learning and data analytics. And the same happens for, you know, if you have to, um, whenever you apply these models to, you know, very critical situations and scenarios, even autonomous vehicles, an autonomous vehicle that doesn't think right can kill people. Or I hope that never happens though, 
I'm uh, unfortunately very wrong. Uh, in the military, uh, machine learning and AI are more and more used for uh, missile control and uh, you know weapons and uh, military drones and, and stuff like that. Also there, I mean, a mistake in, uh, uh, in a machine learning model that confuses things, confuses people or confuses targets can become uh, a very dangerous, uh, a very dangerous phenomenon. So um, back to my experience, what happened? I had this model, it worked pretty nice. It was actually very nice. It could detect um, the, it could assign the probability of a certain disorder uh, to patients by observing their medical tests and uh, it's a called patient journey, which is, you know, in the years, all these patients accumulate number of uh, visits to their doctors or or hospitals and also the, the medications they have been using in the years uh, in the, the dosage that they have been using and so on and so forth so all these data collected together was a very good um, predictor a very good estimator for a particular disease that was actually detected before it happened uh, with a very interesting degree um, of accuracy. Of course, when I gave this model to, you know, when I showed this model to the to the folks around me, uh, you know, there was some kind of skepticism in the sense that the first question that I got asked was, okay, what happens if the model is wrong? How do we know when the model is wrong? And that's, uh, that's fair. So for that, we usually, you know, have the classic validation data set that you use to validate your model right um, then there are unseen observations that is you know patients that you promised you never trained the model and uh, you just try to assess the probability of the disease on these patients um, that the model never met before uh, and these are actually the two best known approaches that you can use and you know we all know this the problem is that um, what these folks were asking me was something deeper than that which was can you explain this prediction? And so this probability uh, of disease, um, it's correct because they made additional tasks that were you know, in the wet lab. So it was not just machine learning and data analytics in action, but the actual medical doctor and nurses, they collected blood samples to validate these, these, uh, these predictions in the lab. And almost all the time, the model was right. Now, of course, you know, they did this extra test, but of course, the idea is to remove this extra test because otherwise you have to do everything by hand. Um, and so why was the model predicting? Why was the model assigning that probability to that particular patient? That was the question. There was the why in the question. And um, more directly, they asked me, can you explain these results? Well, back in the days, explainable machine learning was not a thing. Um, it was, you know, statistics was a thing, has always been. Um, but now we see more and more that these questions get asked on a regular basis, even in domains that are not uh, actually not really regulated or well, not as regulated as healthcare and pharmaceuticals. So explaining your prediction is a very powerful topic. And it's something that allows you to, well, first of all, convince the people who have to adopt the machine learning model that you have produced but also to reinforce that prediction that you have uh, provided. Because 
having a model that predicts a certain natural phenomenon with, a, with one raw number is one part of the story, but having a model that provides you with that number and also the reasons why that number has been produced, uh, well, that's a more, it's a stronger message that you're sending. And uh, it also makes things much easier, especially when everybody, when, when someone has to, you know, adopt this model, integrate it in a, in a regular, in natural setting, uh, or in a very traditional setting, like for example, healthcare in my particular case. So the thing is that most of the time when you try to explain things, uh, you have to kind of lower the barrier um, of, um, uh, you know, of complexity. And um, there are things that are very difficult to explain. And in order to explain these things, you have to make them simpler. Uh, think about the neural network. The neural network is the, the most classic example of a black box where you don't understand what's going on inside. You have all these parameters and all these neurons connected. You have activation functions and you have synapses and layers, etc., etc. And And so the neural network is probably a terrible model to explain because you know that's why we call it a black box model. Now, if you want, if you, pretend to use a black, a, black, a black box model or a neural network in the medical sector overnight, um, that's gonna be a tough run, especially if you have no way to explain these results. And so as I said, a way to explain results is to simplify them. And so instead of using, for example, a uh, sophisticated neural network or a random forest or an ensemble of models, uh, usually you land to, um, for example, a one single decision tree, right? That is terrible in terms of performance, you know, because it's, it, you, we know how statistically poor the single decision tree is compared to, for example, a random forest already. Uh, but it's very easy to explain because the decision tree is something that you give to the medical doctor. It's a bunch of rules and say, if this is greater than that, then you go down the tree and then there is another condition. If that is lower than that, you keep keep going until the leaf and in the leaf you have your decision or your prediction. So a medical doctor understands this very well. I'm not undermining the knowledge of medical doctors. They are amazing scientists, but uh, they are not machine learning experts. And especially they have to be skeptical with whatever model they get on their, on their desk because so far they've been doing things and they've been taking decisions by, you know, using their own brain and own skills and years and years of experience by looking at other patients and so many patients and and so applying these i would not say soft rules but kind of uh to uh, to the single patients simplifying things is good when you try to explain them but it's not as good when you want to use them that's the problem so you cannot tackle the medical issues with a single decision tree that's statistically not viable um, and so how can we explain something and at the same time um, experience the complexity and the sophistication of the model uh, and so keep, for example, a black box? So there are several methods that are part of the arsenal of the modern data scientists now that go under the name of explainable AI or explainable machine learning. As I said, using an explainable model like a decision tree is probably the most naive way of, uh, of proceeding. 
um, but another uh, idea is to add uh, an additional layer of interpretability on top of uh, so-called black box model and this is exactly the one that I would like to expand a bit um, imagine you have a neural network that looks at several medical tests and uh, of course demographic data um, gender age race etc etc and uh, the outcome of this model is for example to predict the probability of let's say diabetes now what you would like to have is not just the probability of diabetes that, that would be great of course but you would also like to have something like what features are contributing to that particular probability and so for example you would like to know um, is gender contributing so the fact that the patient is a male or a female how does that impact the probability of disease and the fact that a particular medical test as a result below or above a certain threshold how does that impact that probability those are the questions that you would like to answer with explainable machine learning and uh, to do this of course there are ways uh, there are situations in which you can do if you have full access to the model uh, you know think about the decision tree as i said but there are many other scenarios in which you have zero access to this and so if you think about neural network you you see it as a very opaque model in which you have inputs and outputs there's no way that you can explain what's going on internally and so what you do with the explainable machine learning and some techniques that i'm going to expand on is creating this additional layer around the black box um, that is called the explainable layer uh, that allows you to you know provide certain numbers that define the level of contribution of each single feature input feature with respect to the output with respect to the prediction of diabetes in this case and uh, there is one um, particular methodology that is uh, quite interesting um, that goes under the name of uh, shapely values so before going into uh, this discussion we have to uh, make a little preamble of what shapely values are well first of all this methodology comes from game theory in game theory there is one um, objective which is explaining the behavior of players for example player players of a game explaining their behavior and quantifying their contributions to the cooperation <laughs> so in a game you have players think about a football game right now there is uh, this is the period of uh, european championship is it called championship or well, european cup probably um and so there are two teams these teams are playing against each other but within the single team you have multiple players right i think 11. i'm as you can understand i'm not really uh, an expert of football um, i watch it only once every four years actually twice <laughs> um so in, within the same team you have multiple players now uh every player cooperates with with the teammates in order to win the game right win the match and so um if you want to discuss um and understand how important each player is to the overall team called also cooperation well then you need something that is called shapely values okay and of course i'm not gonna go into the details of how that stuff works it comes from um uh, lloyd shapely 
he won the Nobel Prize in Economics in uh, uh, in 2012, I think. And uh, it uh, it's part of the same mafia of John Nash <laughs> mafia in a very good sense. Uh, those people were amazing, and they really changed the game. Uh, pun not intended, of course. They worked in the field of game theory, and uh, all those concepts were applied pretty much everywhere, uh, especially in economics. You know that's why that's where they won the Nobel Prize, um, because in economics you can have cooperation and and uh, competition, and uh, and shapely defined a mathematical way to uh, assess. Uh, the importance of each player to a particular cooperation and what payoff such player should reasonably expect, right? Now, you might say, what does this have to do with machine learning? Well, if you think about features and objective functions, so like uh, the, uh, you know, the prediction that your model is performing, well, all the features, all the input features are in fact players of the same team. Right? And they are cooperating to win the game. And winning the game means making a correct prediction. Making a correct prediction. Right? So all these features are cooperating together to win the game. Now, the fact that these features are cooperating together means that not all features are cooperating in, the e in equal amounts. There are some features that probably are not very important uh, and are not contributing that much to the overall outcome. Now, don't confuse this with uh, feature importance in a random forest setting. This is also another way of doing things, but it's specific to random forest, right? Uh, in this case, with shapely values, we are trying to apply kind of the same concepts, but in a model agnostic fashion, which means that we are not restricting ourselves to the random forest methodology, but we are, you know, generalizing as much as we can and say, we have input features, we have a model, we don't know what it is, we don't care if it's a machine learning model like a neural network, or a logistic regression, or random forest, or any other fancy thing that you can have, uh, you can download from archive. <laughs> but what we want to see and to measure is the contribution of each feature to the overall outcome. And so during training, you can also train uh, so-called shapely values for that particular model. So that when you have an, a, uh, a prediction, you will no longer have just a row number that says a prediction a probability of diabetes, I don't know, 80%, but you will also have the contribution of each input feature to that probability. And so you would see things like that the gender is probably not affecting that probability or is contributing in a positive or negative way. So there are some features that bring that outcome up and some other features bring that outcome down and some other features that actually don't move any needle. So this is exactly what you would like to have in terms of explaining your prediction. Now there is a Python library that allows you to do exactly this, implementing the way uh, you calculate shapely values for um, a, the generic game of uh, predicting things. Of course, if you are curious enough, uh, I would advise to implement your shapely values yourself <laughs> as, a, as a personal project, of course. But if you want to have something, you know, uh, not so quick and dirty because you need to write some code, but use a library that has been doing this for a while now and is very interesting and very high quality software 
for your production environment and uh, also to convince to give a better way to whoever is going to consume your machine learning models or your prediction provide them with an explanation of why those predictions were generated another approach is something that i have been using and uh, i also wrote a paper about it back in the days i know it's quite a long time ago uh, it's called permutation feature importance is another approach that allows you to uh, measure how important features are uh, by permuting them um, and so essentially what you are doing you know the, the, the trick there is that you uh, can shuffle the values for any single feature and see if the outcome if the prediction changes uh, with respect to ground truth and so a feature is not important if by shuffling its values uh, leaves the model error unchanged you know that that's the rationale behind um, because in this case the model simply ignores that feature for the prediction and so the fact that you are shuffling the values of that feature is not really important right but uh, there are some other features that when you start permuting even a tiny bit uh, the uh, model error starts you know flipping from positive to negative or the other way around and so those are the features that you would like to consider and to rank you know because by permuting their values uh, the model error has changed dramatically and uh, of course you are in the continuous here you can measure with a very high accuracy how each single feature is uh, indeed um, contributing to the overall outcome now the downside of this is that if you have a lot of features permuting every single feature is going to take uh, a long time <laughs> to say the least and in many other scenarios this is also actually unfeasible uh, because you know permutations and feature combinations can can quickly explode uh, in terms of you know number of permutations that you have to to perform and also to have a uh, you know a decent amount of reliability over this calculated importance you need to permute an, a certain number of times um, now of course this can be done uh, in parallel because these are things that are independent from each other but still you need a you know serious hardware and quite amount of time to perform this feature importance calculation uh, i think that the best approach is going with the shapely values best of my knowledge so far uh, also because the biggest benefit there is that calculating shapely values is something that goes beyond um, the model that you are utilizing um, and so you know calculating shapely values for any model is around the data is not around the model so you can use whatever model you want and you can do that uh, after training as well of course this is just an introduction to the topic um, but i think that by uh, looking at these two uh, important methodologies you already have a good fa a fair amount of knowledge around uh, about the topic of course i will report the references that you need in order to expand uh, if you are curious enough to go through the academic papers <laughs> behind these concepts uh, in the show notes of this episode at the usual website datascienceatome.com on the same website you uh, will also find the newsletter for free to subscribe it's uh, free of charge and uh, no spam ever will happen <laughs> and uh, one last thing uh, we are on discord 
It is a very nice community. Uh, people who share what they're working on, they ask or discuss about past episodes, and you can even propose a new one, the one that the one episode that you would like to listen and you would like to expand uh, expand on. Feel free to jump on our Discord channel, also free of charge. I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.